I'm Natalie Siston. And I'm Joy Schwartz. We are The The Collective Collective Voice. We are two college friends who will talk about issues that impact professionals at work and in life. This is Joy to introduce Episode 9 of The Collective Voice, entitled Women Who Dare. Natalie will be conducting an interview with Renee Delane, a speaker, author, coach, and consultant who Natalie recently met at a women's leadership event. After listening to the episode, you will unquestionably understand why Natalie had to get the backstory on Renee. Natalie takes us from Renee's origins as a Girl Scout in a small town, to key lessons learned from a career in the medical field, to the work she is engaged in today with her consultancy, Women Who Dare. Renee's work includes her trademarked program, Chocolate for the Brain, and must-read blog post entitled Born White. As someone with a deep passion for diversity and inclusion work, I appreciated the way Renee distilled the qualities and skills it takes to make an impact in this area down to some very tangible steps. I hope leaders are listening. Let's get into the episode. I am very excited to be here today with Renee Delane. Renee and I had a chance to meet less than a month ago. I'm going to take just a second to talk about how Renee and I met, and then we'll get going with the interview. Does that sound good to you, Renee? You just take it away. It sounds great. Fantastic. So in some ways, this is a perfect uh, demonstration of what we're doing with The Collective Voice. In episode two, Joy and I talked about networking, and I was able to present a networking seminar at a women's leadership conference less than three weeks ago, and who decided to sit down by me in the empty seat at lunch but Renee. (laughs) So we were talking over lunch, got to know one another, and immediately connected in just a really great way. I think I really appreciated her spirit, her background, what she was there to talk about. And without knowing it, I was attending her session that afternoon. (laughs) After attending her session, I knew she'd be a wonderful guest for the collective voice. And we're going to have a great discussion today about Renee's background and her passion around diversity and inclusion. So Renee, you have a wonderful and varied background, and we always start our podcasts by asking our guests to share a little bit about themselves, their professional background, and what brought them to their current venture. So why don't you start there for our listeners? Oh, absolutely. I'd be happy to share that. Um, First of all, thank you for this opportunity. I'm really excited to do this and share whatever uh, I've learned and and also maybe provide a few chuckles for people as well. That's, you know. Laughter is a good thing. Laughter is a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I did, uh, I'll just say briefly, I grew up in a small town of about 3,000 people or so. Uh, in a small community actually right outside that, but I went to college at University of Pittsburgh and Point Park University and um, uh, got my training as in one of the first PA programs some years back. So uh, during the course of my life then, I had the opportunity of being a lot of, in a lot of different um, medical careers, uh, fields, or I call them the ologies, gastroenterology, neurology, um, uh, orthopedics, those things, because my husband, he was pursuing his doctorate in education as he would take different positions and moved up the ladder. Then I had an opportunity to work with different types of uh, patients, clients, and it really uh, was a fascinating and wonderful experience, a lot of diversity. So I left my career, uh, left um, a couple of years ago for my own business, Women Who Dare, and um, and I, what I did before I left, though, the last position I had was on a surgical team doing skin grafts, helping with skin grafts for people who had, you know, had had skin cancer, so rebuilding parts of faces, that sort of thing. And you get to know people very well when you're trying to 
prepare them for surgery where, you know, basically their looks are going to be different, how they relate to themselves when they look in the mirror. And so just listening is just huge. And it's one of the most important part of communicating with anybody, listening with your eyes and your ears, but also listening, watching body language. And so being able to pause, listen, reflect, and then find out exactly what they need to help them get through this and continue to offer support, you know, as they have challenges or whatever along the way they're healing. So anyway, I decided to combine the three things that I love to do the best. I knew I wanted to have my own business and I knew it would be about women. And so I combined the things that are most important to me. The first one is listening and, uh, the second one is the second one is research. I have curiosity is probably my best and my worst characteristic because <laughs> it often takes me off into little tangents. And I love to advocate for what I believe in in a very positive way. You know, I think there's so much negativity in the world and name calling and and um, you know uh, religion bashing and and all that. That I think people respond much better. I think all humans respond when there's positive ways to look at things and positive approaches and ways to suspend judgment and you know pause, reflect, and then change based on something that you've learned. So that's kind of how I began to build this business then called Women Who Dare. So can you just explain to us very high level what the key offerings? Of mm-hmm. Women Who Dare is? Sure. Yeah, I'll tell you a little bit about Women Who Dare. This Basically, this is a, um, I do keynote speaking and also diversity inclusion consulting. And um, what I do is inspire, educate, and advocate for women to be powerful leaders, effective communicators, and confident influencers. And the way that I do that is I combine two things that are actually very close, but one of them is interviewing women, um, uh, many in this country, but also outside of this country, um, and mostly those are under the radar, so different colors, cultures, uh, beliefs, or whatever, who have, who have overcome seemingly insurmountable odds. So an example would be going to NASA a couple of years ago and um, got to meet Frank Yuse, who trained all the astronauts through all the Apollo missions and loves to, he's an ally to women and, and actually to just the idea of equality, you know, which is a human need. It's, it's, it's across the board, male, female, transgender, whatever, we all want that. So uh, anyway, he introduced me to a young woman who was born in Mexico. She came here with her family as a very little girl, didn't know a word of English the first day of school, and um, teacher came in right away and realized she was, this little girl was lost and disoriented and got her into bilingual. Fast forward seventh grade, got her into, uh, she was called in by the counselor and said, you have the highest math scores I have ever seen. Where are you going to college? Mm -hmm. And she said, Renee, I looked at her and I just said, are you talking to me? Nobody in my family's graduated high school. Mm -hmm. And she's now designing spacesuits at NASA. So those kinds of stories, you know, from an immigrant to this. Um, And then combining those stories with uh, mindfulness. And I have a trademark called Chaka for the Brain. And it's taking charge of your change. It's how to change what you think in very easy ways. And um, probably one of the best ways to describe it is is a, a little saying that I have. You are the gatekeeper for your mind. You are in charge. Take charge before the world does. Because with the with emails, with messages from other people, from all the communications that come 
constantly bombard us, it's easy to go down another path. But once you decide for yourself what your values are, mm -hmm. then that's the lens through which you can look and make the decision. So everybody's going this way. When you can stop for a moment and reflect on it and say, wait a minute, my values tell me to go this way, pretty soon people are following you. Great. Can you give us an example of some a testimonial or something one of your participants for Chocolate mm -hmm. for the Brain has come to you afterward and said, I went from this to this because <laughs> I went through this program? Oh, uh, absolutely. Actually, uh, Kathy Rausch, who uh, owned, I think, a $10 million business here in Columbus, and now has um, she became a web designer after that. She sold her business because she spent so many hours at it that she was losing herself as, as, a, as a woman as a mother uh, and, and as a separate person outside of her business. So she ended up selling it, did very well, and went on to design a, a web design business. And now she's very much um, into supporting other women in many ways. But she said when she listened to this, she said, you know, I've studied change for a long time, but listening to Chalka for the Brain, you made it simple and understandable. And immediately I was able to implement this and it was, it was profound for me. That's great. Yeah. Another one I might mention is um, I've had the opportunity to get to know uh, Dr. Deborah DeLau, who was the Assistant Secretary for Education for the United States under the Obama administration. And um, she now is uh, in charge, the CEO for an international education association. But um, we've met different times. I've done some interviews with her. She's quite an amazing woman. And she said, you know, really, in these challenging but invigorating times, it's women who dare is so, so needed. And it meant a great deal to me coming from her. That's, a, that's really fantastic. Let's keep on this theme with, with women. Mm -hmm. uh, so one of the podcasts that Joy and I did, I believe it's our third episode, was called We Are Our Own Worst Enemy. And it was all about the ways women undermine our own credibility and that of other women, largely in the way we communicate with one another. We, in that episode, we talked about how women have to walk a fine line bet between being appropriately nice and feminine or bridging into the, quote, B territory. How have you coached other women to walk that tightrope? Uh, can you share some examples of how you've talked to women about how we treat each other? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, first of all, I think there's a little bit of a stereotype about um, how women, women treat each other just a bit, because I think um, that that, is, that has become sort of, oh, they're behind each other's backs, they're bitchy, or they're this, or they're that, you know, and I think there is certainly some of that, mm -hmm. and what that represents to me when I think about it is fear. Mm -hmm. It's just simply fear, you know. Uh, when we get the message, certainly from cradle to career, be polite, never flaunt or, or toot your own horn, those sorts of things, you know, we're buying into the very thing that keeps us in the position where we're at. And what we need to do then is to support other women. And if they are uncomfortable sharing what they have done, oh my goodness, get out there and blast that horn for them. <laughs> you know, and and um, because women are role models, when we achieve, uh, when we've achieved, gotten an award or, or finished off our master's degree or PhD, or we've made a pivotal change in the company, corporation, or organization, uh, or in community service. It's something we need to share. 
And it doesn't have to be an I. It certainly is we. You know, it's very collaborative because that's the hallmark of, I think, one of the things that come more naturally to women, that collaboration that from a 30,000-foot view to being able to say, this person will help, this person can help, and that team-type, you know, behavior of doing things together, just a little different. And I think now it's changing because young women now are actually getting into more team sports, and that's where you learn that collaboration. Uh, like men have had uh, for thousands, hundreds of years, you know, actually, you know, going to service, you know, in war or whatever, they've learned to do team, you know, achieve goals through a team, sports, certainly. And certainly Title IX has been one of the best things that's ever, ever happened to women and girls. There's a lot of pushback to that. I know the first woman, one of the three women, actually, who was a girl who played baseball, and um, she's the one of the ones that uh, got this started, this legislation started. I'm going to share her story at one point. But it's very important for women to um, support other women and encourage ourselves to be role models. You know, I, I'm really proud or, you know, I'm honored to have achieved this. There are ways you can say it. And you're still giving the message across without doing the, you know, the, the, the you know. The, <laughs> the humble brag or the, yeah. the puffing your chest out. Yeah, I think, you know, and it's, that's not in a masculine way. We can do, we can be just as proud of our you know, um, the things that we have achieved, our achievements, our goals that we have reached, and do it in a feminine way. And I think leadership by women is just becoming uh, critically important all over the world, everywhere. In fact, one of my favorite books is The Athena Doctrine by John Gerzema, and I would highly recommend that book. He actually had a team of people they got together and surveyed 67 nations, and they made it a blind study then when they're doing a survey. They didn't give feminine or masculine, you know, attributes, but they said, what do you think of in a leader? You know, what, what are the qualities that you think of? And what comes out of that is that women's sense of collaboration, of getting things done, of commitment, and also to uh, values is very high. And... Your, the book is excellent. It really is. It shows us, you know, with um, data. It shows with data and statistics that in a blind study like that across the world that women's qualities that they have to lend to leadership are critically needed. Absolutely. That's great. We'll make sure we put that link into our show notes so people can check that okay, book out. Sure. It's a great reference. Mm -hmm. Let's pivot a little bit from the women's perspective more mm -hmm. into diversity and inclusion perspective. And Renee, I need to share with our audience the blog post you posted at the beginning of 2016. And the title of the blog post was Born White. And it describes in minimal yet wonderful detail your upbringing. And the quote that made me stop and pause when I was reading this is as follows. Renee says, Because of my experiences, I've become increasingly aware of the privilege bestowed upon me at my birth solely because I was born white. I received another bump up because I live in a world largely governed by others of the same color. Renee, can you expound on this for our audience and how it has led to your focus and your devotion to diversity and inclusion and understanding others. Oh, absolutely. You know, I have to say that one of the reasons I feel strongly about this is something that happened when I was in Girl Scouts as an eight-year-old. And I was only in it for about a year, year and a half or so. My parents didn't have the money for the dues and other, you know, uniforms and that sort of thing. But I had my handbook, my Girl Scout handbook, which I still have to this day. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the chapters that I was reading in there 
and I was interested in, had done some work on, uh, was friendship. And the chapter started off with talking about immigrants, people from other countries, and how important it was that what you can do to make people feel welcome. And if an immigrant, in the word, that word's from the book, moves into your neighborhood, a family moves into your neighborhood, then go over, take a dish over to them, take some food over, and then after they get settled, invite them to come over to your home, invite the neighbors to come over, and ask this new couple or the family, the children, to bring um, some food from their native land, bring some customs and stories that they would like to share. And you know, that's what it is. It's one person at a time getting to know another person. And that prevents stereotyping from happening. It's always... It always seems to be that when it's in our own backyard, all of a sudden, you know, we find out our, our child is um, uh, gay or um, queer or, you know, transsexual or whatever. When it happens to you, the story becomes very, very different when it's personal. It's easy to judge from a distance when it's not a real person. So I learned that, and then just the next chapter was international friendship, and it went on to say that um, it doesn't matter what where people are from, their ages, the color of their hair, their face, that people only want three things, and they are to love, to be loved, and in essence, the next sentence which you said, that they have, they matter. And I just added on that they have lived it all. And you don't, don't we all want to know that we matter, that we're here on this planet, this little bit of stardust in the form of humans, and that we matter and we make a difference? Wow, so you were eight years old when you read that chapter. Yeah, and I didn't realize what a profound effect it had on changing my view of the world. This was in my little small town. In my little little monopoly-sized houses of 850 square feet of maybe 100 homes. And I, I learned that there from Wendy Little, who gave me the Girl Scout handbook <laughs> that I bought. <laughs> we are thankful to Wendy for that yes. because you are, you're living this every day. When when did you then need to actually put that into practice? So can you talk to us about a time when you had to potentially overcome a cultural bias or step into a situation where you were facing someone completely different from yourself? How did you take those mm -hmm. words you read in the Girl Scout handbook and make that come to life in, in your world? Okay. You know, it was a gradual process. When I went off to college, I went to the big city. I went to Pittsburgh <laughs> with classes at, at University of Pittsburgh and Point Park University. And um, I had, had not seen very many people of different color um, uh, and cultures, although I would say my parents, whenever they had money, they would take my sister and I to Pittsburgh, and we would uh, go to festivals with that other cultures that had put on Asian festival or whatever. So actually I did have that exposure, but not in a personal way. Uh, even food, we'd go to you know a Jewish deli, and um, we learned that all those types of foods just were or wonderful to, to eat and enjoy. And so, but not the personal. It wasn't really till I went to college because nobody in my high school was a different color. Everybody was white. Everybody was white. So the same. So I uh, went off to college and um, it was, you know, I, it was, I, I, I really felt comfortable. What I noticed though is when I would leave my dorm sometimes at nighttime, I'd be walking down the street if I was by myself, and I saw people that were dark or a different color, uh, a man especially, I would become fearful. I'd become very careful. And you know, that's just in the culture. That's mm -hmm. just in the culture. It really is. And so I, I didn't quite realize it, but I knew something was 
not meshing with how I felt about people. So that was a challenge for me to work through, you know, and I think it took a, a while to get over that. And actually probably, probably one of the best things that happened to me was taking a, um, a cultural uh, class or program through um, Columbus State um, and getting to know other people's cultures and realizing that, and I guess I had started to do this already, but when I was walking down the street and somebody was different, I did, pretty soon I got to the point where you just, if you look up and just smell somebody, you know, it's disarming because, you know, that's the shortest way between two people is a smile. And sometimes, you know, somebody might look away a little bit or have their eyes down or whatever, but it's my job to make people feel comfortable. And obviously, mm -hmm. if I'm, I'm in a situation where I feel unsafe, then I need to be with other people or, or take precautions. But otherwise, you know, that's, it's not necessary. It's not, we don't need to be on alert for things that are a figment of our imagination or fear that we've not. I often say when you face your fear, you find your voice. And your smile, too, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe you'll meet a friend out yeah, of it. Well, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I want our audience to appreciate is how many stories you have heard from others, Renee. So you've, you've collected these stories. You talked to us about that up front in the interview. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about how you get people to tell you their stories. What are some things that we can learn from you on how to really get the truth from someone and, and get beyond hello, as I like to tell people mm -hmm. who take my networking seminars. Sure. It's fine to say, hey, how are you doing? I'm doing great, mm -hmm. and then walk along. But how do you help people step into that and mm -hmm. and spill their guts to you? What can we, <laughs> teach us your secret, Renee. Well, you know, that that's interesting because I, I have heard people say that I've never told this to other people before or whatever. You know, I think it's a matter of just being very curious uh, about people and, and understanding body language, which we all have intuitively to greater or lesser degrees. But the first our first role, and, and certainly you as an expert in, in networking, you know, this is, I'm sure, what you're thinking, too, is that, you know, our first goal is to make somebody feel comfortable mm -hmm. and, and to get them focus with your eyes and your body. You know, I notice when when somebody is very comfortable with other people, uh, my brain and your brain, too, begins to form a little file, that when they have great eye contact, when they slightly lean into a conversation, uh, when they are relaxed and really focused, then that's a gift. Listening is an act of love. There's actually a book about that, you know, from Dave Isay, um, from StoryCorps. And it's so true that so seldom do we get that few seconds on the stage where somebody really listens to us with intent. But I think that's the most important thing is, is how, how are you appearing to that other person? You know, are you making them feel comfortable? Are you giving them, are you being in the moment with them and looking directly into their eyes and listening and, and, and nodding? And then if you're not sure, if, you know, if you need an explanation, I, I thought, is this what you said? Did I, get, did I get that quick, you know, correct? Because often we have things lost in translation, especially when we're speaking with somebody or listening to somebody in another culture. We may just assume something. And if we have a little, if we're not sure, you know what, just ask. Can you explain that a little further so I have a clear understanding I'd really like to know? And making them center stage. You know, instead of going to a, a networking, I don't want to infringe on your territory because you do this as well, but, you know, it's shared. Share, women share. Yeah, we, we all have different techniques. <laughs> we share, yeah, yeah. But um, it's um, really about them. And I think of something, I have an acronym called TINY, their interest, not yours. 
Oh, that's great. Yeah, their interest, not yours. And it's so simple. You know, it's that when you're with that other person, they are the person on, on the stage. They are the person that we're, we should be listening to and paying attention because we're going to learn something. We may form a great friendship with that person. We may know somebody else that you want to connect them with and would help each of them, you know, something mutually beneficial. You may think of an article or a TED Talk that you saw, uh, something from Amy Cuddy, who I just adore. Um, but those kinds of things, and just say, would you, you know, I, later on in the conversation, but instead of asking them what do you do, um, maybe find out about some of the people you go to a networking event ahead of time so you know a little bit about certain people. But if you don't, just say, well, hey, do you have any vacation time coming up? What are you going to do? Do you have any pets? You know, if you get somebody on a topic that they feel relaxed about and they can just be themselves instead of that image, like mm-hmm. this is my title and this is what I do. And Here's everything. my business card. Exactly. Yes. yes. Yeah, exactly. Then, then all of a sudden you have changed the whole conversation. It becomes a kitchen table conversation, which is how it should always be. You know, it, actually it should be that way. It doesn't matter I, I actually think of my mother. She's um, 86, got her second hole-in-one in golf a couple years ago. <laughs> but amazing, you know, because she treats everybody the same. She, you know, whether you're president or whatever, you know, it's not the title. It's the person. You know, it's the human being. And it makes a big difference when we just give them the eye contact. Mm-hmm. We ask questions about them, you know, what their life is like. And, and then, you know, if you know they've done something extraordinary, uh, or at least in your eyes, or you've heard this, who inspired you? Who inspired mm. you in your life? Do you have a favorite quote? You know, that's always interesting to find out, too. You know, or that maybe they've not thought about it. But who inspired you in life? Who made a difference? And then, oh, it's amazing some of the answers you get. It really is. And then finding out why. I love this. I think it's such a good take on it, and I think what I heard you say, because I was listening as closely as I could, it's really not about the questions that you ask, so you don't go in with this amazing list of questions. Mm-hmm. You instead just go in with the the eyes and the heart and the ears, and you listen, and you follow the path. I just want to know you. Tell me more. Right. Mm-hmm. It all seems so easy, right? I just want to know you, and mm-hmm. sometimes it's, it's not. Talk, talk to me a little bit about how that manifests itself for you and all the places you've lived. So uh, earlier you were talking to me about the fact that you've always tended to live in a small town that's close to a large city. Yes. Right. So that's your perfect example. Now you're based in Westerville, Ohio, which is 20 minutes from downtown Columbus and Mm -hmm. you've lived in several different places. So how have you brought that to the forefront throughout these small towns that you've, you've been living in? How do you bring the neighborhood out around you? How do you bring the stories out around you and okay and become the center of that community? Honestly, you know, um, just having conversations with people casually. I'm in line at the grocery store. I'm at the airport uh, in line. And, and one story quickly is Gloria Steinem. I happen to recognize her in a, in a line opposite mine when we're going to New York City. And I turned to my husband uh, as this woman turned around and kind of scanned and then looked down back at her phone. I said, that's Gloria Steinem. <laughs> he says, do you think? I said, I know it is. I said, I want to be ready. I, I have to say something to her. I didn't even know what I was going to say. And so when we got through the line then, I just 
picked my purse up, threw it at him, and I said, hang on to this. I'll come back for my shoes. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, I just went right over, and I, she was picking up her bags. I waited a moment, and she turned around. I said, pardon me, but I said, are you Gloria Steinem? And she said, well, yes, I am. And I just always say the first thing that pops in my head, you're just as beautiful on the outside as you are on the inside. And she just looked at me and put her arm around me. She says, come on, I'm going to get you some coffee and we're going to talk. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know, and I, I, that's, that's mm. really an important thing that it doesn't matter. When, you, when, you, um, when there's somebody that has a title and you, oh, they don't want to be bothered with me, or somebody has a position or something, oh, my goodness, that is, for the most part, so untrue. And you know what? If they act in a way that's, oh, I'm not interested or whatever, then you're better off not not talking to them anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but most people really, if they're you know people with with um, great uh, values, they they feel honored when you ask them you know a question or this is I it's just so wonderful to meet you you know I just feel honored and can I ask you a question about who inspired you or whatever. So how do we pull the, our youth forward in this movement, given the fact that they have grown up digital natives and mm -hmm. they've grown up with their face in their phones and on an iPad. What, what would, what's your best advice for, for parents raising children or for those of us managing millennials? Mm -hmm. Because I feel like I see less of this connection, less of this personal one-to-one -one getting to know people the more we do revert to our digital devices. Mm -hmm. Okay. I probably have a little bit different take on that. First of all, I think that I, the digital part is excellent. And I think that, that from very young ages, they are learning how to do, you know, handle things with technology and communicate. And um, I think the other part of it is that when we're raising our children, that we give them options. We actually not, well, provide experiences for them that are equally interesting. And so take your child outside. Take them on a walk. Go by a lake. Go see the ducks. Point out things. Did you look at that rock? Isn't that a beautiful little rock? Would you like to collect rocks? Uh, or, oh, gosh, look at that little baby duck. Aw. You know, those sorts of things. We point out the wonder of nature and the beauty of what is right around us in this beautiful planet. That's one of the best things we can do. And they begin to grow a love for this. And so you've got some balance then. And, you know, we are so urbanized now in so many ways that um, – I remember reading uh, about our Supreme Court um, Justice, um, Sonia Sotomayor, and she said she had never really been out of the city, and she really wasn't quite sure of, you know, the differences between horses and cows, and it sounds so silly now, but she wrote that in her book, because you've never been out to experience, you can look at something in a book, or maybe she did or didn't in her city school, you know, but um, we need to get back with nature, we are intended, you know, we, we are of this earth, we need to balance uh, the exposure that our children have and make a real committed effort, and with families to do that, to go out and do family things together, you know, hiking, taking a walk, just mm -hmm. talking, you know, those sorts of things. And uh, probably limiting some of the technology, not probably, but absolutely say, yeah, you can, you can, you know, use your computer or do your iPad or, you know, whatever you're going to do. Um, but it's probably an important thing also to give them some guidelines, to let them know that, um, be careful if you have somebody trying to connect with you that you feel uncomfortable mm -hmm. with and report that right away because there are people out there that are, are not so nice and you need to know about that ahead of time. Um, provide other opportunities, experiences, take them to museums, take them mm -hmm. where they can do hands-on projects. 
uh, involve them, you know, create opportunities for them to be in uh, things like Girl Scouts or Boy Scouts or, you know, other organizations that have collaborative group type, um, you know, opportunities for them. And, you know, I would also say that I, I'm not so worried about the millennials, and I'll tell you exactly why. <laughs> I love millennials. I really connect with them because their mission in, in life, they have to feel like they're making a contribution, mm -hmm. that, that they're making a difference, you know. And they also want to know that when they're, they take a position that it's not just a corner office and they're a cog in a wheel. They want to know that they're on this whole spectrum. And I tend to think of it as companies like Cardinal Health, where leadership can come from anywhere, from any person, from any man, woman, transgender, whatever, you know, that everybody has something different to offer. And so I, I think that's, that to me makes me feel very good for the most part about millennials. You know, sometimes change seems like, oh, we've always done it this way and I'm worried about the technology overtaking. You know, if we provide a little balance and stuff and get used to the idea that, yeah, we're going to communicate this way, but also may open up some new doors and new ways of thinking because the same things were said about TV when it came out. <laughs> Who was that? Um, oh, I forget. Was it? Oh, I can't remember. One of the, the famous, you know, uh, people of wisdom, Plato or something in the past. It's something about every generation. Mark Twain, I think, said it. But every generation, as they get older, begins to think, what's coming? What is the world coming to? <laughs> what's going on? You know? <laughs> and I think if we're resilient and we kind of go with the flow and listen and understand a little bit, parts of what we did, parts of what's coming up maybe aren't, you know, the best always. But there's always so much more good coming out of it. We need to look at that. That's awesome. You are definitely a glass, glass half full kind of person. I love that. Mm -hmm. I think we're getting down to our last couple of questions here. So one of those is if you could pick one skill for executives or emerging leaders you work with uh, to gain, what would it be? So basically, where do you see perhaps the greatest deficiency uh, from your coaching and consulting work and how do we fill in those gaps? Mm -hmm. Okay, you know, it depends on who I'm coaching, but if you if you go into more of the, like, engineering and, you know, groups like that, um, I would say that it's definitely emotional intelligence, that as much training, as much skills, as much as you can read about emotional intelligence, learning, get certification in it, you can take online courses from Case Western and other universities on emotional intelligence, and um, even TED Talks, you know, there's a lot about it now. But 87% of successful leaders at the top, and by successful, I mean not just by title. I mean it's not power, it's influence. Influence and um, that have great values and teams that respect them and want that, that collaborate with that leader that's providing the vision have great emotional intelligence, mm -hmm. the ability to get along with other people, to nurture people, to help bring them forward and give them an opportunity to shine, and also give them a little bit of a challenge, you know, that they may think they're not quite ready for, and provide that as well. That shows faith in them. And once they overcome that, you know, the, the more you face your fears and find your voice, the further you're going to go, and the better the team is collaboratively together. That's great. Emotional intelligence. I think that's, mm. you hit on, that's, that's excellent. So talk to us a little bit more about what you offer, the services that you offer. That way our audience uh, knows how they might be able to call on you in the future. What, is a, mm -hmm. what are some of the engagements that people could call on you for? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Um, you know, well, uh, certainly speaking, 
you know, that is, uh, whether it's a keynote or sometimes uh, breakout what, sessions. And what topics would you speak and, on? Yeah, the, key, the keynote topics are about loss in translation. That's one of the titles. Mm. Lost in translation because he said, she said, <laughs> you know, somebody uh, from another culture says this. Um, one, of, one of the things that's helped me greatly is recently uh, through the, um, the Columbus Council on World Affairs, which is connected to the international world affairs, I, I received certification for global fluency certification. And that is being able to communicate with other people, to listen to other people, to be able to handle um, with a, uh, respect other cultures. And um, that, that's huge. That's been so very helpful for me. The other, the other topic would be about building relationship bridges, building relationship bridges, because that's exactly what networking is. Networking is simply getting to know other people and, again, you know, tiny, their interests, not yours, and helping them in some way. And, and frankly, you know, there are going to be a lot of people that you meet at networking events that you may provide an article for or connect them with somebody else. And maybe it won't go anywhere as far as business for you. But you know what? It, it becomes a ripple effect. That, that's not always our goal. I mean, if you're just worried about getting the business, then you're going you're to have a problem and people are going to see right through you and become very transparent. But if you're really truly interested in getting to know that person and trying to be helpful, um, being of value to them, then you know what? It always comes back to you. Absolutely. It always, in one way or another, maybe not how you expect, but I truly believe that the universe gives you back what you put out. <laughs> Absolutely. And if you have more of a positive attitude and um, learn to use adversity as your advantage, you know, and, and be authentically yourself. I mean, I, I look at somebody like Ellen DeGeneres. When she came out, uh, that, it was horrible, the things that happened to her. And she says she has learned the worst from the people that were enemies. She has learned to forgive them. Hmm. Huge. That's great. So in addition to keynote speaking, mm -hmm. what else yes. do you offer? Um, I've done some work with Scott's Miracle Grow. I've done some work with um, Ameriprise and different organizations. And um, also NALWIC, which is one of my favorite groups. That's the National Association of Women in Construction. Okay. <laughs> any, any women that are just bucking the trend and are willing to get into a non-traditional career, I have great respect for them. Mm -hmm. And so that is one of my special loves, that Immigrant women, you know, I would say, and men too, men who are allies of, again, that same type of feeling, you know, of, uh, of uh, parity for both genders and for gen transgender as well. But um, entrepreneurs, the group of entrepreneurs that are most successful in this country are immigrants. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So those are probably my sweet spots, the area, those groups that I like to really, you know, that, that's where um, I like to learn from them. And find out ahead of time. So any any program I do for anybody, any uh, type of coaching that I do individually or in a group or whatever, I'm going to find out things about your group, your organization, or maybe even you that you don't even know. And I think that's the most important thing when they say customize. That's what I mean, mm -hmm. getting to know that other person and finding out what's important to them, what are their values. Great. So by learning about them and things mm -hmm. they might not even know about themselves, you then mm -hmm. help them kind of turn that focus inward and shine a light where they could be excelling even further. Oh, absolutely. That's a great point you make, too. Absolutely. That leadership always comes from within. You know, we have to feel, we have to live, be, act the way that tells a story. 
without us hardly saying a word, with a, maybe just a few words. But your life, well, here's another way to put it, you are known by the company you keep. So that's advice also for people, you know, the students. Surround yourself with the people that have the values you have. That doesn't mean politically. Mm -hmm. We think very differently that way. Religious, as far as religion or faith or whatever, those can all be different. But the classic values are things, well, I've thought about this for my own mission statement and my own values. Mine are integrity. Integrity, being a person of my word. And if I can't do something, to, to find somebody else that can do it and explain and own up to it right away. You know, the, the second part is courage. Courage to do the right thing even when it's the hardest. Oh, my gosh, that is so hard for all of us. It is so hard and it's so easy to go the other way. It is so easy. And the last thing is, you know, to uh, uh, contribution, to contribute to this world, to this life. And believe me, you know, when people say, oh, well, yeah, I'm only one person. Oh, gosh. Well, look at Malala. She's only one person. Look at this woman who wrote this letter. Uh, about her experience about um, you know the sexual assault Stanford and she wrote this letter and read this and it was such bravery and courage on her part and she has changed the focus on what it is to be a a, a survivor of a sexual assault and oh my goodness this country this world needs that so much to be able to realize it's not 20 minutes of action. Mm. And she did it. I mean, I have the greatest respect for her. I, I, the courage. Unbelievable. That's fantastic. I think what I've enjoyed most about this interview is just the understanding that you truly care about the individual, that story, that that individual voice and how much that can do for the world. So for anyone who's listening, I hope that you are taking notes and taking thoughts to the fact of what is your contribution, what is your unique story. That way you can bring that forward into the world. And also, on the flip side, think about how you can bring that out in others because that's probably even more powerful than what it is that you're bringing to the world is how can you shine a light on what others are bringing. So, Renee, I would love for you to leave our audience with how they can find you. Where where can they find you and learn more and stay in touch with you? Oh, sure. That would be that would be delightful. I'll, I will be doing some podcasts in the near future, hopefully, uh, but also on my website, Women Who Dare, and also uh, Twitter. I'm on Twitter, and I'm going to be starting Instagram. I'm a little behind on that, but getting into Instagram as well. Uh, LinkedIn, certainly connect with me on LinkedIn. And I am writing a book right now. Uh, about um, my experiences basically in my own backyard, what happened from growing up in a small area and uh, going on and having all these amazing things, good and bad, happen to me. And, um, and hopefully it'll have some nuggets of wisdom from a lot of the women that I've met and men too. And um, hopefully that will be helping help other people begin to think about things in a different way, maybe become a little more confident, a little more daring, a little more step out of my comfort zone. Fantastic. Well, we wish you the best of luck with your book and all your ventures. And thank you so much for being the first person I've interviewed for The Collective Voice. <laughs> Natalie, I have to tell you, you made this so comfortable. All I can say is that if this was a slice of heaven. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. With that, we are going to close our episode. Thank you so much, Renee. That's the end of Episode 9 of The Collective Voice. I hope you were as moved as I was by Renee's personality acts of altruism, and her anecdotes, including a career pivot which involved leveraging listening, curiosity, and advocacy from the medical field into her awesome entrepreneurial venture.
Women Who Dare. Taking advantage of a chance encounter with Gloria Steinem at airport security, and perhaps most poignant of all, the application of lasting lessons on friendship from the Girl Scout Manual. All following the theme of making a contribution to the world around us, starting by demonstrating curiosity and taking interest one person at a time. Thanks again for joining us. For more information about Natalie, visit her website, smalltownleadership.com, and for more about me, Joy Schwartz, visit me at joyschwartz.com. Thanks for joining us, and be sure to check out future podcasts of The Collective Voice on iTunes. This is Natalie Siston, and this is Joy Schwartz with The The Collective Collective Voice. Voice.